Hello everyone and welcome into the Irish NFL show. Uh, I am Colm Cronin and delighted to be joined by Brian O'Leary. Brian, how are you doing? I'm good, Colm. I feel like we're short-changed tonight, or short-handed, without our two other regular guests, our regular host in, in Michael, who's now already in Munich ahead of Sunday's big game, and Mark, who's got some work responsibilities this evening. But uh, I think we're going to get into I think it's a good fitting time, as you said to me today. It's We're over the halfway point in the season. Let's, um, let's have a look at what we believe to be the front-runners for all the awards come the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Fortunately, neither Mark nor Michael needing to go on injured reserve, so they will be back in the uh, not-too-distant future. And I know you yourself are heading over to Munich in, in just a couple of days. Um, we are brought to you in partnership with uh, Cassidy Travel, and we actually talked uh, just the other night about uh, going stateside. And if you haven't checked it out, uh, check out Jason's piece on our website about his recent trip uh, over. Um, Brian, we did say that, yeah, mid-season review and kind of maybe look back at what we had thought would happen pre-season. Obviously, it's been an interesting one. Um, I suppose, like, maybe we'll start off and maybe one of the teams that we'll end up talking about, like, we'll talk a little bit later, maybe the surprise team. But it, for you, I suppose, this could go either way, either surprise positive, surprise negative. Who've been maybe one of the, the most surprising teams for you? Surprising teams in terms of how well they've done. Could be, as I said, can be either how well they've done or how badly they've done. I'll stick to the negative side before we get to the positives. Uh, oh God, I'm torn between this one. I'll go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I know obviously there's going to be a lot of scrutiny and ahead of the game this Sunday in in Munich. But the reason why I'm going to go with them is because I, I picked them to go to the Super Bowl. I picked them to face the Bills. I thought having... Having have Brady back and how close they came to winning that divisional round game last year and how strong the defense has been over the course of the past years, I felt we'd see in a division where, you know, with all due respect to the other teams, um, we felt the Saints might be better than where they are, but we didn't think Panthers or the Falcons would be as competitive as they've been. And did it, we certainly didn't think they'd be challenging for the division. I thought the Bucks would win this division, you know, we were suggesting that come November the division would be wrapped up and it'd be a case of where they fall into the the uh, the order of the playoffs, but what we've seen over the course of the first six weeks of the season, and it's on both sides of the ball. Like we spoke about how poor the defense played at times, um, but obviously the the main talking point has been Brady's performance throughout the course of the first nine weeks of the season. I know they got a win a win on Sunday against the Rams, but in fairness, I think for most people who watched that game, they never really play well. They played against a Rams team that punted nine times out of thirteen, and they still had to struggle to get the game over the line in the last minute with a a Tom Brady-esque, you know, I suppose last-minute driving, which we were used to seeing over the course of his career, but certainly haven't seen many of them this season. Watched the game a few weeks ago against the Ravens. They struggled for large parts, got a little bit going in the fourth quarter. It's just the inconsistencies throughout the course of the, throughout the, course of the season. Obviously, there's a factor in a new head coach, uh, Todd Bowles. I didn't think it would be smooth, but I didn't think it would be where they're at because I felt... He would have learned from his experience having been a coach with a team in New York and the Jets and what comes with being a head coach in the New York market. But uh, look, it's not all lost for them. Like, like we are talking about halfway through the season, the division is poor. So there is like a quickly could turn it. It could flip around with a couple of wins and they could be in a position to win the division. But for a team that we expected so much of and to be certainly challenging come January to be in the position to go to the Super Bowl, it's been very poor. And 
I know a few, fair few Bucks fans, I know a few that went over to the Ravens game. They're just, they're, they're bamboozled by what they're saying. They don't know whether this team is coming or going right now. Yeah, uh, I think it it is been very surprising, and I think for me, what was surprising in relation to the Bucks was that we didn't see them look to do more uh, at the the trade deadline because this is, I think, you know, widely accepted to be Tom Brady's last rodeo. Maybe he will shock the world, but I would have thought they would look to put more around him. Um, I suppose that the. the in, on, on the positive side of things, the team that they will play in, in Munich have been one of the most uh, surprising stories of all. I know you ha- were high on them. I thought they would win nine games, but they may surpass even that. Um, what was it that kind of gave you the the belief um, that so many people lacked when it came to the Seahawks preseason? I watched that video back, uh, Colin, during the week, uh, just to see your reactions again, and the shock and horror in some of your faces. Uh, we'll have to watch it back together sometime. It's the Pete Carroll factor. Um, I know they had an off season last year, and um, you know they were even close to making the playoffs, and people felt that Pete Carroll was in a kind of a, a, a situation where people felt, is this his last year? Is he kind of looking to get out of it? You know, the fact that Russell Wilson has been traded last March. Yeah, his age, his you know, he's had a, a reasonably good career. Would he want to go through the process of having to take on a young quarterback coming out of a draft? Because it, it, that was that was the expectation that they wouldn't have a very good season, and they would be, you know, high up in the draft order next year, along with the Broncos pick, which in fairness everybody felt would be further down the, the order because everybody expected a, a strong Broncos season. But it was the peak Carroll factor for me. I felt he he's a kind of coach. He doesn't necessarily remind me of Ferguson, but he has that kind of mentality. Us against the world type. As you know, a scenario within the NFL, and when people think he's down, he comes back fighting. And all the players have bought into what he was saying throughout the course of the offseason. And what I would say as well is, and we weren't listening to it, we weren't buying it, nobody was buying it. And I know they, they, they said it was a quarterback competition between him, Gino, and Drew Locke, but everybody kept saying going into the season, we're very comfortable with the quarterback in which we have, we know what we're going to get from Gino Smith. We all thought it was madness, but it's proven to be correct. I guess sometimes you you recognise what you have in-house as opposed to what people think outside. I, in fairness, they have some really good players. They've drafted really well this season. I think we, we'll all we'll probably get to it in a few minutes with potential um, offensive players, or the offensive rookies, defensive rookies, but overall, collaboratively, they've had a great draft. They've got two guys on the offensive line that are playing, you know, playing as if they've been there for quite some time. Great running back, great secondary, young guys there in uh, Woolen, who's who's had a fantastic obviously it's all come together nicely for them I just as I said I just felt that Carl will find a way to get wins against teams when they wouldn't expect to win yeah he he certainly has and the the draft class that you mentioned has been absolutely incredible now I suppose Brian one of the stories of the the last hour or so has been the fake Adam Schefter uh, under the new verification system on Twitter and a tweet about Josh McDaniels that uh, he he was going to be fired by the the Raiders um, which you know uh, was obviously fake news and was debunked very quickly but it did catch a lot of people on the hop but because i suppose you know while he's just in the door the raiders have been incredibly uh disappointing this was a, a team who gave a new contract to, to Derek carr though we had discussed on the show that really that was kind of it was mooted as a three year but realistically it was one year when it would it get out 
in terms of the Raiders, where do you feel it has really gone wrong for them this year? There's a lot of question marks coming into the season around the secondary, their secondary, their offensive line. I dismissed it. I felt having made the playoffs last year, we would see them go back as, as a wild card. We had seen the, the Derek Carr. Like, it's easy for people to say Derek Carr and Devontae Adams have the relationship, but like, they had that relationship in college. Um, and they have a great relationship off the field, but that doesn't always mean they're going to hit the ground running. A lot of people expected that he was a plug-and-play scenario into an offence that was quite good last year with Hunter Renfro, uh, Waller, but Waller's had his struggles this year. He's been out injured. Um, for quite some time, it looked like Josh Jacobs wasn't the man in which they fancied he had little activity in in the uh, preseason games. I know players don't necessarily get a lot of action, but there was a lot of stories going around that he wasn't the preferred choice and they were looking at whether running backs he's obviously had a, a reasonably good season he had the big game against the Texans so the inconsistency on offense Derek Carr for me has taken a huge step back from what we saw last year and he wasn't fantastic last year but he, he was consistent in games where we didn't expect him to win such as going into Indianapolis finding a way to beat the Chargers in week 17 last year but the drop off has been significant and they seem to find ways it's, it's easier to say they find ways to lose games, but they've had three 17 point leads this season. And teams who have a strong belief and a strong coaching staff and good coaches find ways, such as the Giants, such as the Jets right now, who haven't got a large pool of players, they find ways to continue to win. With this team, it's like as, if, as soon as they get up into a lead, they know they, they haven't got the mental resolve to win that game. And that comes from the coaches. And Josh McDonald, who's in his second stint as a head coach, everybody felt. He would learn from his time in Denver. That hasn't really materialised at all. Maybe it was too long between the Denver situation and going back in the coach. Maybe he should have stepped back in three or four years ago when that opportunity came up with the Colts. But um, I just think there's no mental resolve there. We saw a toughness with that team towards the back end of the season when they were playing for an interim head coach, let's, let's not forget, who now is the special teams co- coordinator in, in Green Bay. But there's a, there's, a, there's a belief there that's lacking in terms of finding ways to win games. We saw it two weeks ago when they went into New Orleans, got the doors blown off them. And it's then you could say they got the doors blown off them again last Sunday because they scored 17 points early and then didn't do anything for the rest of the game. And just to, to round out uh, this section, we do have a, a question from Fred in relation to um, perhaps another one of the, the kind of most disappointing aspects of the, the season. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers uh, having um, a, an absolute nightmare over the, the past um, kind of month and a half. Brian, we saw them live in London. What what? is the biggest issue in the Bay? Well, what we've seen over the course of the first seven, six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks, nine weeks of the season is that they just, they're adverse to change. Like the offense is not, they're trying to plug and play the same offense they played last year with Devontae Adams. And it's not, it's not working. And yes, there's been these story, stories around the fact that they have a different pool of uh, wide receivers, but we see other teams with different pool of wide receivers, probably not even not a tie don't even have the class in which they have and they're delivering Rogers is obviously completely off his game I know what uh, Fred is referring to he was on Pat McAfee yesterday and he do, they were very precise and asked some questions around the interceptions and last Sunday's game in Detroit I felt he held, he held his hands up for two of them I think he was more agitated by people outside of the game making, giving their, expressing their views on 
in media areas over the course of a few days criticising him and think he's more annoyed at that rather than the players. I didn't think he threw any of the players in particular over the bus, under the bus, shall I say, but he has done over the course of a few other weeks. You could see in Sunday at times he was very disengaged with the players. I don't know how it's going to end there. There's been a few people come out this week that have said um, they should consider you know, have him step aside and put put Love in and see can they get a run with with Love. I think that's only likely to happen if if they are out of the playoffs. But it's a difficult one. It's hard to put your your finger on because the defence hasn't played well either. And we keep referring back to the Rogers situation, but the defence has been really inconsistent. Their their, their run defence, which which was really strong last year, has been victimised in some certain games. They beat the Patriots, but the Patriots ran all over them. We saw what Saquon did on them in London. And there's been other running backs uh, who've gone up and down the field. And so oh, it's a it's a double thing. It's offense and defense. It's so disjointed, and I'm not sure where 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 the good times are, are going to come from. Maybe Sunday at home they've been on the road for the past two weeks as underdogs. Maybe as underdogs in Lambo, it might be a different game on Sunday when they play the Cowboys. Yeah, and maybe one thing that's not getting talked about, especially on the offensive side of things, is the fact that they lost three of their offensive coaches to the Broncos. And while Nathaniel Hackett is struggling as a head coach, uh, we know the role of coordinator is very different. And obviously, with the other two coaches who moved across with him, that's a significant amount of change, um, coupled with Adams leaving, bringing in a lot of rookies and trying to, to learn a whole load of new things, or even trying to roll with a similar system but completely different staff so it will be fascinating to see over the, the back end of the season how they do and we will continue to see Aaron uh, express his views on the Pat McAfee show every Tuesday so uh, one to keep an eye on there yeah, Another point on that Colm, you made a very good point a couple of weeks back, I can't recall where it was I think it might have been in response to a number of people engaging over the poor performance of the Packers and you said that they need to go back to basics and start focusing on uh, trying to leaning on the run game, look that hasn't materialised at all. Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon are really strong running backs. I know they've had their injuries. We saw again Aaron Jones on Sunday, but they're not using them at the level. We even saw last year in a, in a strong side going, going for the, the playoffs and being number one seed. There was a, there was a balanced offence last year. We're not seeing that at all. Uh, Brian, I think I might know uh, who you might discuss on this, but uh, your comeback player of the year thus far. You really want to ask that one, Colin? Is that, is that not a given? I said in our season preview show when I was asked to come back player of the year, would be I said it will be Saquon Barkley. He looks like a completely different animal this year to what we've seen over the past few years. It's like the build up of frustration over two or three years with all the injuries in which he's had have finally come to a stage where he's gonna prove it and it was it's very much a prove it year. It still is a prove it year, you know, whether he'll be there next year. Um <clears throat> it's they're in a situation now next year where they'll have to come the off season where they'll have to decide if he's a long term answer. I think he's Clearly proven already he is the long-term answer, but obviously financially it'll have to make sense. Um, I suggested he would have 1,500 yards rushing, um, 15 to 16 touchdowns this year, and 90-odd receptions. He's at 900 yards rushing after eight weeks of the season. I think we're well on course to to be his original rookie record. Um, Look, everything goes through Saquon with the team. I know Daniel Jones has stepped up and had a really strong season, but um, without a strong running game, this wouldn't materialise in terms of how well the offense has done, despite the the lack of wide receiver in terms of the wide receivers available to the team in terms of the the level and expectation you'd want from players, you know, of core of a core of three or four wide receivers. Um, like you'd you'd argue it could be 
Derek Henry coming back off an injury, but that is that a surprise? Geno Smith. Um, but for a player who's missed large parts of the last two years with serious injuries, to be playing at the level he's playing against good teams as well in the league that they've beaten the Ravens, the Packers at times. Obviously, Packers have had their problems. To go into Tennessee, who had a one seed last year, score touchdowns, score two point conversions. There's so many storylines for the season already for Saquon. So I can't see how anybody would be opposed to that. I'm sure there is, and I'm sure you might have another alternative, but for me, it has to be Saquon. I, I think Saquon, I think to me it's between Saquon and Gino. I think probably the way in which the, the back end of the season plays out will dictate ultimately who wins it. Um, but nobody thought, I mean, I think when the when the trade happened, everybody expected Drew Locke to, to be the Seahawks uh, starting uh, QB. And it was funny because obviously got a lot of fans in Denver and when the competition seemed to edge towards Gino there was a lot of talk that oh Pete was the exact same as Vic Fangio and he had it wasn't a real uh, competition and he was going with the safe bare hands and he would come to regret it well he certainly has not because uh, not you know the, the Gino might not win comeback player of the year because he could end up w- win, winning the MVP race. Who knows what what might happen uh, there? I suppose then, Brian, if we move on to um, the rookie class and um, been some uh, young players making big names for themselves in terms of your standout on uh, offensive rookie. Uh, I've seen. I do agree with you some. Because um, I've, like I've, I've gone through a number of ones and I read through ones and which one keeps popping up for me and it's Kenneth Walker in Seattle. But strangely enough, he's only really started to adjust to the league and do so much in the past four games. Like he had the breakout game in LA and he scored two touchdowns against Arizona the week before that. But I suppose that, that is a you know, caveat to the fact that they lost their main, uh, their main running back in, in Penny um, for a season and the injury. So he was, he was kind of in and out of the team at that stage. But um, what we've seen over the course of the past few weeks is the explosiveness. He scored two touchdowns last Sunday. He scored a touchdown against the Giants, two against the Chargers, two against Arizona in the previous game. Like, he's just... And he's so elusive and it's very difficult to get down. He just... Like, we're talking about teams that have a balanced offense with players like Metcalf Lockett. To have a running back come into the league and straight away, within reason, you know, hit the ground running. Pardon the pun as a running back, but... He's just, for me, he's a standout player, and it's strange because I can find myself, I won't, but I, I find it difficult not to pick the defensive rookie of the year on the same team, but uh, I don't want to put it all in the eggs in one basket with Seattle because it could come crashing down very quickly, but for me, he's been a standout player, and he's so explosive and so, so enjoyable to watch. So you're you're going uh, you would go with Tariq Bull and then as your defensive uh, rookie of the year, is that based on where he was taken in the draft? Yeah, I mean, fifth round, fifth round pick, and you look at his numbers against um, Sauce Gardner um, and what he's done so far. Um, the, what I would say going into the season, just Sauce Gardner was going into a defense that was already stacked, and a lot was expected of that defense. We spoke about in the preseason that we didn't feel this Jets team was too far away from being a really strong team if they could get it together offensively. Well, they haven't had to get it together offensively for a large part because the defense has been so strong. He slotted in, obviously, he is a standout player, but. For a team going into the season, they have so many question marks. And if you know, an ageing cornerback playing on one side, and then he's not no longer there because you've got two rookies in Kobe Bryant and Mullen. Obviously, Mullen is a little bit ahead of Kobe Bryant because Kobe Bryant has had his flaws already this season. 
um, for me in terms of you could see it early on in the season, interceptions getting in, you know whether it's when he's playing man on man or whether he's getting playing strong against the player, he's he can adapt to every situation. He's been again another standout player for the Seahawks. Yeah, I can see that. Although for for me, what I think has been so impressive about Sauce is the fact that there were so many expectations, um, and he is in a market where every single thing you do um, gets analysed. Nothing flies under the radar, and uh, he has been outstanding. Uh, he has been a real leader for them. He has found a way to annoy opposing players, be it, whether it's the the cheesehead or whether it is. Um, opposing fans losing their minds and claiming um, DPI but uh, I think a lot of the time you know there's there, there's a lot of wrestling that goes on between receivers and uh, cornerbacks and referees generally aren't shy to throw a flag when uh, when it's warranted or otherwise so uh, I think Sauce has been exceptional I think if the Jets are to have any chance to continue um, with the exceptional run that they're on and make the playoffs and end the longest uh, drought in, in the NFL currently, Sauce will be a key part of of that. And in for the, the veterans, Brian, in terms of the the offensive and, and defensive player of the year, who, who would get your nod at the midway point? Defensive player of the year, God, it's probably getting boring, but how can you get away from Mickey Parsons? He's just, he's fantastic. And I mean, his numbers aren't really stacking up against other players in the league. Um, like he's been held off in terms of getting sacks on quarterbacks, but like, it's his second year in the league. He had 18, 18 sacks in 19 games. I think it was by the way, going into that Giants game in week week four. I mean, the numbers alone are very impressive, but it's... We've seen players over the course of the years where they have a really strong first season. I'm not necessarily, not necessarily saying the teams figured them out in terms of scheming against them, or they double team, you know, double team on the line. Teams have done that, and he's still finding ways to get to the quarterback. He can play on the edge. He can play. He can play linebacker. He can play, you know, interior on the line. He is just a standout player. And every team who goes up against the Cowboys, the first team they're going to think about is how do we go play against this player and somehow find a way to stop him. It's very difficult. Cowboys defense has been really strong this year. Um at the start of the season when Dak went out and everybody said this is already a kind of a, a bad situation. They may not win the games. They won the games and I know Cooper Rush was playing steady offensive football, methodical drives, but it was a large part of it was down to the fact that they had a really strong defence. So for me, he's a standout player. I'm struggling on the offensive side. I'll let you go on that one now for the time being and I'll, I'll come back. Where are you going with that one offensively? Josh Allen, like it's as obvious with Jalen Hurts. I'm sure you have a lot of love for the, for the Eagles and the Philly people. Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose um, the uh, just to, to round out the the defensive part, I think yeah, Parsons is and both are probably the standouts. One who I'm very interested to see can he continue it is Matthew Judon. He had a great start to last year, but he really tailed off to, towards the end. He has a, had an exceptional uh, first half of the season this year, 11 and a half sacks. Um, it's, it's ridiculous. And the Patriots offense has taken a step back this year. Obviously, without Josh McDaniels, there's been um, issues with Mac Jones in terms of injuries and obviously Zappi coming in and that. But Judon has been the, the shining light for them. I am interested to see if he can keep um, that that up. I mean, I suppose in in terms of the the offensive player for me, um, 
you know, it usually the MVP race is always kind of um, between the the quarterbacks. So I'll go for for an offensive player. My pick currently will be Tyree Kill. Uh, came out of um, Kansas, where obviously had an exceptional time there. A lot of people said, oh, he's leaving Andy Reid, he's leaving Patrick Mahomes, he's not going to be the same player that he once was. Uh, Tua won't be able to, to throw, throw it deep, etc., etc. Tyreek Hill has over a 1,000 yards, and Miami looked like one of the most electrifying offenses in the league. So to me, Tyreek gets the nod for Offensive Player of the Year. I'm, I'm gonna. I would have to say Jalen Hurts um, because I'm gonna say Josh Allen, but the reality is like there was so much expected of him, and I have been very critical of Hurts and didn't believe he was at the caliber in which which he we've seen this year. And I read a lot of reports in the offseason. I spoke to Mark Hogan when we were on our way to London. He was saying his brother's an Eagles fan, and throughout the course of the offseason, there was this continuous story about how he was working so hard to get get his throw motion corrected, you know, it wasn't all about being a run quarterback and that's gonna reflect of the last couple of games. Like they're winning games and everybody just assumes that he's running for sixty, seventy yards and it's the dual threat and he's he's running in touchdowns. He hasn't scored over the course of the past few weeks and he hasn't run much. I mean the game last week and people might turn around and challenge it and say, Well they're only playing against the Texans. But he only ran for twenty four yards in that game. Um the week prior to that, um the the, the previous game they played similar scenario like they're winning games now with him as a quarterback not in a position where he has to be continuously running with the ball um, it's a great threat and I'm sure we'll see more of it as coming to co- over the course of the next few weeks when they play against more difficult teams when they play against the likes of the Cowboys again another potential difficult opposition and that will have to be used in the offensive bag of tricks but they are playing against teams that are allowing them the opportunity for him to run he's not taking he's still fun he's still putting delivering the great throws so he surprised me. Um, nobody, nobody can be surprised by how well Josh Allen has played. So for me, I, I would, I would lean Jalen Hurts for offensive player here. Yeah, and the, the the fact that he's throwing into the middle of the field, which was the biggest knock on him, yeah. um, coming into the season, and he has shown he can do that and do that repeatedly, and uh, something that much more experienced uh, QBs are shying away from Aaron Rodgers isn't throwing into the middle of the field uh, this um, this year nearly as much um, so I suppose then Brian to, to kind of round up uh, this section um, before we look ahead to tomorrow night's game um, in terms of at the halfway point who is your MVP well, I, I went. With, I purposely went with uh, Horch for offensive player because it has to be it has to be Josh Allen. Like, um, he played injured towards the back end of the game last weekend. He still managed. Well, he still runs in two touchdowns in the game. He's done so much for the Bills this season already. And like, I think back to the first game of the season against the Super Bowl champions, and they they blew them out. Um, they played against other strong teams. They blown them out. Um, they came back. It's not even about. The, the explosion for winning games comfortably. It's the games where they're not, and we, we've always had this knock on them. Um, a repeated stat last year was they keep winning games by 10 plus points. What's going to happen when they play against teams and, and, and tough games? And I know they lost down in Miami, but they had a lot of injuries. But the game that stands out for me is they're, seven, they're down by 17 points in Baltimore. And I know Baltimore have had their difficulties in terms of maintaining leads, but the comeback in the manner in which they didn't win, win late on shows that there's a mental toughness within, not just with him, with the team, but He's a standout player, and obviously there's a lot of conversation around whether he will 
play this weekend because he seems to be carrying, he has this elbow injury which could be concerning. Tennessee won't play this week and they'll keep they'll rest him up for the following week. But um, I mean, he's 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 a standout player. Bills again. I'll give you another example. That game in which he went into Kansas City, uh, we spoke how important that game was to be Tennessee as a number one seed come come January. Similar scenario late in the game where we've seen Mahomes do it in the past and we saw Mahomes do it in, in, on Sunday Night Football. He drives him down the field, throws the dart to, to Knox, Dawson Knox, to win the game. Just another example of him not just being in a position to blow teams out, but to win difficult games and have those drives. So for me, he's a standout candidate for MVP. If we recorded, if this was two weeks ago, yeah, I think he would have been for me too. But uh, he's been a little bit too careless with the football over the, the past couple of weeks. And um, I, I am interested. I, I do recognize he is the Bills offense. And, and I think that's a, an issue for the, the Bills in, in many respects because everything is on him um and you have to give kudos to him as well in terms of you know what he has done obviously with Dable moving on and they haven't really missed a beat i am interested to see you know how this injury impacts um upon him and we'll probably get a little bit more into that tomorrow night um when we might be clearer i know at the moment they're saying he's day to day um, but an injury like that, you're you're never really sure. Um, you know, I, I I think it will. I think this will very likely come down to Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, and Patrick Mahomes. Um, I think depending on how many games the Eagles end up winning, uh, Hurts has to will have to be in there if if they win. You know, fifteen um, games, he would have to be in that conversation. Um, to me, Patrick Mahomes is probably. Um, just ahead of the others at the at the moment, because he may he continues to make the extraordinary look ordinary, and we're we're almost we're so used to it now at this point that you know, it doesn't come as a surprise. Like when Mahomes does something ridiculous, it's like oh yeah, well that's what that's what Patrick does. We expect and we demand almost um, that he goes above and beyond uh, at every single um, opportunity. So. Um, the fact that, you know, he lost Tyreek Hill and people wondered, would he, you know, uh, without that deep threat, the fact that defences, you know, were playing um, the two high safeties, the the shell, um, but he has, he has found a, a way to do it. And that's as well with the Chiefs running game struggling. Um, now, you could make the argument that Andy Reid tends to get away from the running game too quickly, um, and there there might be uh, validity um, to that. Um, it it would be, but like Mahomes threw almost 70 pass attempts um, on, on Sunday. Like, you know, that again, like that, that is a, just a, a ridiculous stat. Um, and to me, if the if the Chiefs end up being the number one seed in the AFC, given the um, strength of, of schedule that they had to face, obviously being, um, you know, the AFC West winners again um, last year, I think it would be very difficult to um, dissuade me from Patrick Mahomes being um, the the MVP. Um, there is a comment saying uh, that you know um, Elite QB is not having a great year. We do know offensive scoring is down. It could be a surprise. I I would love the league to go with uh, a different um, MVP, but we know that 
it is so so rare uh, for the the league to look outside. Uh, they should absolutely they they should, um, but they they so rarely do that. Um, and Brian, just to very quickly then before we we move on, um, I, I imagine I probably know your answer to to this one. Um, the uh, the head coach head coach of the year at this point. Um, Brian Dable. Absolutely. Um, torn between that and Pete Carroll, to be honest, uh, Colin, I did go back and forth on this before when I was looking through the, the list in which we discussed and agreed for the show this evening. Um, but um, I would still suggest, was people thought that the Seahawks were going to have every, um, an average season or maybe even a poorer season than people, you know, in terms of after the aftermath of the Russell trade, Russell trade they still had good players on offence. The Giants don't have a lot of players, good players on offence, with all due respect to who, who's out there right now. And... Um, like I said to a Giants fan before the season, I was very confident we'd win a lot more games. I said it to you when we did the show out in Ballymount. Um, I put a lot of that down to scheduling as well, but we've seen coaches come and go with the Giants and they just don't know how to coach, with all due respect to to, to those people who are involved. Where Brian Dable, we've seen it in, in London firsthand. He finds ways at the right time in games. And a lot of that's down to the fact that when he came in, everybody felt he's coming from, from Buffalo, he's the offence coordinator, he's the one that people said built up Josh Allen. Josh Allen came into the league his first year. He was um, he had a difficult time in terms of his passing ability and he corrected that and everybody felt he would do the same for Daniel Jones. I don't necessarily think he's doing the same for Daniel Jones in terms of they're going down the same path because they're, to me they're still very different type of players. Uh, Jones doesn't have the skill set which Josh Allen has, but he has worked with the skill set which he has done and been very productive and got the best out of him um, but it's more so that he brought in very significant people in terms of the coaching he brought in Mike Kafka who was the quarterback coach in Kansas City and there was a lot of talk that the reason why Chiefs wanted um, the enemy to get a job was so they could promote him to be the offense coordinator we've seen how aggressive he can be at times and the play calling that suits the offense and the players that he has around him and Wink Martindale who was let go by the Baltimore Ravens to bring him in was a masterful decision as well. Um, he's allowing them to coach. He's like he said from day one, I'm not going to call the plays, despite the fact that he has all that experience. I'm going to coach, and we've seen that with the, you know you've seen the first time with the Broncos that uh, if you know we've had the conversation should Hackett have had an offense coordinator that's calling the plays and not him, and he do the coaching. Brian Dable has, and he continuously says the same thing every week. It's not just me; it's the coaching staff. I put a very good team around me. Um, how can you not be impressed with what he's done? They're six and two, and whatever we had, of course, in the next season, the, sorry, the remainder of the season goes. Realistically, if you look at where the league is at the moment, for the Giants to be a wild card team, I would imagine they only need to win three more games. That maybe I'm been maybe I'm been a bit. Um, so maybe I'm not factoring in other scenarios and other teams and what they have to come, what they have to play. But if you look at the amount of games that are going up, NFC teams are going to knock each other off. Right now, they have a two-game lead on the, on the seventh seed. Um, they, I think three wins will be enough to get them a wild card. They play the Texans this weekend. They play the Lions. You know, there is a scenario there. And I know the NFL every every week is different, but there is a scenario where they could be 8-2 and two in two weeks before they go to Dallas on Thanksgiving. Like, that was, that's usually impressive. Even if they split the next two games, to be 7-3, and three, going into a Thanksgiving game, when nobody gave them a hope this season. It's highly impressive. And um, you got to... Compliment the GM as well. Uh, they had the relationship in Buffalo, but uh, yeah, I'm probably I'm probably going on too much about the yeah. team. 
But, uh, I, I, it's, com- it's coming across. I, I think um, it will be interesting to see. I think at, at this point, um, certainly David is up there. Nick Sirianni, again, has to be up there second season to have uh, the team unbeaten um, and to make the adjustments that he did last year, obviously, where he handed over uh, play-calling uh, duties. Um, to me, it's... Um, what the other the other um probably standout candidate is uh, and it's a comment that rightly came in there uh robert Sala. if it's the jets um were to to make the the playoffs i think that would be a phenomenal job given the injuries that they have suffered the fact that they've had to change the the quarterbacks um but to lose you know um the the guys on the o-line to lose one of the most exciting running backs etc etc um for that, for this one, I think I really think that the second half of the season will be uh, really, really important uh, in terms of uh, telling us uh, who who it is. Because uh, you know you can have, and we have seen it, um, teams have good kind of opening halves to the season, and then uh, it it can all fall apart. Uh, we remember the eleven and zero Steelers team from just a few years ago, um, who. You know, went eleven games unbeaten, um, but it was very obvious that um, they they weren't uh, the real deal, as ended up proving to be the case in um, in the playoffs. Um, Brian, um, are there any other observations on the uh, the season um, thus far? Uh, as uh, we are are about to start talking about week ten. Well, we've spoke about about the the season now. You know, we've had offenses start the season strong and defences catch up but um, I think it kind of has flipped on its head this year you know the offences haven't been at the level we've seen the, the amount of low scoring games and I think you, you put a stat out there a couple of weeks ago on one of our shows that if you're comparing last season at that stage of the season in terms of points against this season it's way down but um, it doesn't necessarily mean this season hasn't been exciting it's been a standard season there's some teams that are disappointing we're going to disappointments as some coaches that have disappointed me um, and I think I've aired my views at times on the show but Brandon Staley despite the fact that the Chargers are in a, a position that they're in um, that has disappointed me um, I would say Sean McFay has disappointed me because Michael made a good point the other day he seems to be continuing to talk about wanting to be doing something else as opposed to coaching he's still a very young man I was just won a Super Bowl that's, that's the problem you could say the Rams have been very surprising I mean we spoke in February Last February in LA, that the Rams really needed to win the Super Bowl because they had invested so much from the owner to the new stadium, to trades, to, to you know giving up so much draft capital to get the Super Bowl won. And then you said, I think you said three or four years' time, this is all going to come crashing down, but they'll have their Lombardies and they'll look back at the good times. Well, it's come crashing down very quickly by the looks of it. Um, to see a Super Bowl team, we talked with the Bengals, maybe having a hangover, they've rebounded reasonably well to a difficult start to see with the Rams. Don't look like, and um, I know we'll get into it tomorrow night. And show Matthew Matthew Stafford has been confirmed this evening has been in concussion protocol, may not play against the Cardinals. They are another team that we haven't really touched on there. That have been a huge disappointment. In, indeed, but uh, one of the the teams that have been a very pleasant surprise and one of the most exciting teams to watch in a season we've talked about offensive play being down, but one of the teams that, in fairness, have been um, in interesting on offense doing really interesting things and uh, we are going to discuss them now with our good friend delighted to welcome back he's an award-winning sports writer he works at the atlanta journal constitution d orlando ledbetter welcome back to the show hey thanks for having me guys really appreciate it 
Dear Orlando, we always, always love having you on the show. And I suppose it's it's interesting because a lot of people were were down on this Falcons team before the, the season began and wondered, you know, what, what was it going to be? The change with Matt Ryan moving on, Marcus Mariota coming in. Nobody knew. But they have been whilst the the results maybe haven't always gone their way, um, Arthur Smith has done a heck of a job um, with the resources that he has at his disposal, right? Yes, he has uh, four and five uh, with a a lot of, uh, you know, nine new starters on the defensive side of the ball, a new quarterback, a new style of play. Uh, You know, everything's not perfect, but uh, they've gotten a lot of things right here early, uh, you know, near the midway point in this season. The Orlando, uh, Marcus Mariota was brought in in the offseason. They, they'd made a run at Deshaun Watson, and we know how that played out. And then he was brought in soon after within the free agency period. People felt he was, like a, I suppose, a holding quarterback for potentially a draft pick. Obviously, Desmond Ritter has got injured, and he's out for the season. Do you see the long-term plan for Ritter to be stepping in at some stage? Not necessarily this season, but if Mariota continues to play, I know he's had some up-and-down games, but... If the team wins the division, for example, because it is a poor division this year, do you still think there's a plan to move away from Mariota next season? Um, I don't know how soon it is. Uh, you know, he's got a two-year contract that uh, screams of a one-year deal, uh, you know, that they could uh, easily get out of the two-year, second year of the contract. But uh, right now, um, he's their guy. He's got him in the middle of the playoff race. And until that changes, he's going to probably be in good stead with the uh, current administration. Uh, Desmond Ritter, they, they do want to develop him as a, a quarterback of the future, but uh, they're doing it in practice, not uh, in the games. We've seen some of the young quarterbacks go in and struggle already. Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh, Malik Willis uh, on Sunday night against the Chiefs there. Uh, you know, there's no chance he was going to uh, drive that team down in overtime for, for a win. Uh, so, you know, the, they are being uh, cautious and developing the quarterback, and he should be uh, learning uh, a lot under Marcus Mariota. And then maybe when it's time for him to take over, um, you know, they can come in and run the full offense uh, and throw the ball deep down the field a little bit better than Marcus is doing. Marcus is doing great underneath but he's having trouble getting the ball uh, connected with his receivers on the deep balls. And in terms uh, of those receivers, D. Orlando, the, the Falcons have like two outstanding young talents, Drake London, Kyle Pitts. We've seen flashes from from both the, of those guys. Do you think, like I suppose building on, on the last question, can, can Mariota and the team look to get them more involved in the second half of the season, especially for, for London, who's a, a rookie and is obviously still learning his trade? And look, we know for rookie tight ends, it takes time to, to settle in. Um, or are they going to continue to, to lean heavily on the, the run game? Yeah, the run game's elite. So um, they're going to con- they're going to continue to lean on that. It's fourth in the league right now. They've been able to run it with uh, four different running backs, whether Patterson's there or not. And so you got to keep that. But you got to throw off of it a little bit better than what you've been doing. We're not we no, we knew that who Marcus Mariota was. We weren't expecting him to come in and throw for 300 yards every Sunday. But when you got a guy open deep 
like they did against the Chargers, you got to be able to hit that pass. You know, um, people are going to come up to the line of scrimmage to stop the run, and you have to be able to make them pay. So uh, he doesn't have to do a lot more, but just a little bit more and getting the ball to Pitts and, and Drake London, uh, you know, and, and uh, getting it down the field with a little bit more accuracy. So um, that's where they're at with the passing game and mixing in this offense. Uh, they've done a good job of, of putting in the base runs. But, yeah, you got to add a little bit more passing to it so you can make the teams pay when they try to put eight players in the box to, to stop your run. D'Orlando, you, you spend a lot of time around the players, and I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on the mental resolve of this team because the in week one, for example, they were – you know, there was quite some some distance ahead of the New Orleans Saints. They allowed the Saints to come back. Mm-hmm. They um, they nearly blew the Panthers game at home 10 days ago. It looked like it was all over with 20 seconds to go. And then last Sunday against the Chargers, you know, me and Colin discussed, essentially, they, they found ways. They, we've said in the past the Falcons find ways to lose games. Well, they, did, they went back to some old traits on Sunday, losing a game they probably should have won. There's a quick turnaround going into tomorrow night's game. You, you know, from what you've seen this week, is, is the burden of losing on Sunday still there, or is it very much moving on to this game? Yeah, I um, was just in the locker room about an hour ago, and uh, that was one of my questions to the veterans. I don't ask the young guys about it because they don't know, but Corderell Patterson said that, you know, he liked the way the guys got back to work, how they, uh, you know, were really attentive, attentive and paying attention to the game plan. And he felt that they're ready to go up to Carolina and play a good game. And so did Grady Jarrett. He said, uh, you know, he, with him being a captain, you know, he's got a – that's part of his job is to, you know, maintain the post of the team. And he feels that, you know, they're ready to move forward uh, and kind of establish some superiority over the Panthers uh, and not let them hang around like they did in the last game, you know. So so uh, the, the, state, the mental state and the psyche of the team – appears to be in pretty good shape, according to the veterans. And the Orlando, I'm wondering in terms of what the the feeling is uh, on the ground there and amongst the the fan base with with the Calvin Ridley trade. Now, I I needed more fingers than I have to try to work out all the permutations and combinations about what the Falcons will get uh, if he's on the roster, if he plays and, and that sort of stuff. But um, it, what is is the feeling uh, amongst the the Falcons that they essentially got a good return um, given the the circumstances of the trade? Uh, yes, uh, the fans feel that way. And uh, Scott Pioli, the uh, former assistant general manager, was here when they drafted Ridley. Believes that they got a, a good haul. Um, you know, fourth round conditional pick that could accelerate into the second round if he re-signs with Jacksonville. So first you got to get off the suspension list and then uh, hopefully get back on the field and then do enough on the field to where uh, Jacksonville signs into a long-term contract and then the Falcons would have a second-round pick coming their way in 2024. So uh, for a guy that they were going to move on from anyway, uh, you know, it just was uh, too much water under the bridge. He needed a new start. They needed a new start. Uh, and if you can get a, a, a fifth and a second-round pick for him, that's pretty good 
bounty for a former first-round pick that hasn't played and pretty much hasn't played in the last two years. Dear Orlando, every head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator makes statements before the season starts. Dean Pease, the defensive coordinator, said everybody's going to be pleasantly surprised by how well this defense is going to play play this season. It's been mixed, shall we say, over the first uh, nine weeks of the season. There's one player in particular that I always keep an eye on, Lorenzo Carter. He played for the Giants. He's, he's from the neck of the woods, as they say. What have you made of his performances and the defense overall this season? Yeah, Lorenzo has made made some plays, made a couple big splash plays too, block punt, uh, the interception return, um, uh, you know, against the Panthers where he went up and got the ball. And, and uh, you know, you always want to see more sacks and uh, more quarterback hits. But he's a solid pro uh, for the Falcons uh, out of Norcross High here and then the University of Georgia. Uh, but, you know, they um, – you know, they, they need more production, not only from Lorenzo, but from the other defensive ends also. And the Orlando, we talked, I suppose, you know, about the, the Falcons being a, a little bit of a surprise package to a lot of people. Um, we've just reached kind of the midway point of the, the season. What would what would success look like uh, for for the Falcons? What it does it is it like um, remaining competitive? Is it a winning season? Is it making the making the, the playoffs? Um, I'm sure Arthur Smith would, wants to make the playoffs, but for the the fans, what would they consider a successful season? Yeah, it's already uh, you know they were only predicted to win four games, so if they get one more. They they're they're there now. They've made it through the tough part of their schedule. Uh, where they played all the tough teams up front. Now uh, they have uh, uh, eight games left. Uh, what four or five? Nine, yeah, eight games left, and only two against teams with winning records. So uh, what you're gonna do here is, hey, can you beat the 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 two and seven teams, the Panthers? Can you beat the the Cardinals? Can you beat the Bears? Uh, you know, uh, the two teams with the winning records, or um, uh, the Ravens and uh, Washington. I think uh, Washington was four and four going in the last week. So you know, if they lose those two and win the other six, that's gonna put you at ten and seven, and you're gonna probably win the division, or uh, or, or you know, you can probably have to win the division because the wild card numbers are gonna be too high in the NFC East. And that would be like a romping success through the park. The big success is that, hey, they're building the foundation of a football team. And, uh, you know, maybe they do have to go out and get a quarterback. But you can see that uh, Drake London can play. You can see that they can block. you got running backs who can run. You need defenders that are going to stop people. Right now they are um, opportunistic on defense. They give up a lot of yards. Uh, but they've got, um, you know, plus one in the turnover margin, which is uh, – 13th in the league so you know they're going to take the ball away from you and, uh, and and you know give up the yards and rally and hit and cut down the, the yak yards there while you're trying to build out that defense so uh you know the realistic fans that that know you know rome was built in a day will see some progress this year and the win-loss record right now has to exceed everybody's uh, expectations Dear Orlando, the schedule always throws up some unusual scenarios, such as teams, both teams coming off the boys and playing each other, like when the Patriots play the Jets in two weeks' time. It's two weeks, I guess, but it won't even be two weeks tomorrow when the Panthers face up against uh, the Falcons. 
How do you what's your expectation for this game? Bearing in mind it's so soon since they last played each other, the way the manner in which how that game played out with what looked like a Panthers win at the end, only for them to have the celebration mistake. They miss field goals in overtime to win. The Falcons get it over the line. Do you, are we going to see a back and forth type of game like that tomorrow night, or do you think it'll be a little bit more one sided towards the Falcons? Yeah, um, I think uh, I think it's, it's going to be a tough game again. They they uh, Carolina and the Falcons play each other tough no matter what. If it's two weeks or one week, um, you know they're, they're two teams that are close together. You know, just right up the road a little bit, and. Uh, you know, P.J. Walker had a good enough game last time that they're going to run him back out there. Uh, you know, and, and certainly the Carolina Panthers have a stout defensive front to make things tough for this uh, Falcons offense. You know, with Shaq Thompson and Derek Brown and uh, uh, Brian Burns, they have some good players over there. So they'll come ready to play. I'm fully expecting another close one here. And, uh, you know, maybe the Falcons will execute a little bit better down the stretch and put them away, but uh, they haven't uh, put too many teams away. They did put the 49ers away. That's the only one, uh, only win they have that wasn't a one-score game. So uh, at some point, you got to get consistency, and uh, you got to have a a standard of play that you don't deviate from, you know, throughout the game. Like the defense came out with two three-and-outs and then gave up six straight third-down conversions. That's too much. You can't do that. So – um, the team has to get better uh, consistently on both sides of the ball, you know, score in the red zone, convert on third downs, complete your long passes, uh, you know, basic football things if you want to really be a playoff, a real playoff contender. Dear Orlando, um, you, you, I hope I hope you realize that bo- both the Falcons and you, that's some of the comments that people enjoy watching the Falcons and uh, people saying Dear Orlando is the main man. So you have a fan base here in Ireland. Hopefully we can get you over here someday. And uh, I always enjoy, Dear Orlando has one of the best uh, NFL podcasts out there. The Bowtie Chronicles uh, is always fantastic. And just for um, for viewers and for listeners on this side of the Atlantic who want to hear more of your stuff, where can they find you? Yeah, well, we're uh, my Twitter is at DeorlandoAJC, and our website is AJC.com. The uh, podcast is on Apple and Spotify, and uh, you can get it in your other places where you get your podcasts. But uh, that's the best way to keep up with uh, our Falcons coverage, and we certainly appreciate our fans. Uh, across the pond in Ireland there. Well, Diorlando, we were fortunate to get the opportunity to to meet you last year at the Super Bowl um, in in California. Hopefully, maybe we'll see you uh, again in Arizona, and uh, hopefully, the the Falcons will have a successful second half of the season. We want to thank you for taking the the time to join us. We always really, really appreciate it, and it's always great to chat to you. Well, thank you all for having me on the Irish NFL show. And uh, hopefully we will see each other uh, in Arizona this year for the uh, Super Bowl. Thanks, dear Orlando. Thanks, dear Orlando. Take care. All righty. Oh, we always enjoy uh, talking to D. Orlando. Definitely check out the, if you're a Falcons fan, um, check out or interested in the Falcons, do check out the Bowtie Chronicles. He always has great guests uh, on there. Um, Brian, in terms... Just, just quickly, yeah. sorry, kind of reading between the lines, he's basically said the Falcons are going to win the division, yeah? 
I, I think he feels that it's in play for them, and, and why yeah. not? Who who knows with uh, with the way the Bucks are are playing, the way the Saints are playing, um, uh, who who knows what might happen in terms of the game tomorrow night, Brian? What are what are your thoughts? Well, it's an unusual one, in, like in the sense of um, you've got a, a team coming off a very difficult defeat four days ago. Um, Two teams coming off difficult defeats in, in different ways, really. You've got the Falcons who lose a tough one. You know, I mean, you, you made a, a very funny point on, on Monday evening about the whole uh, craziness of the end of the game where, the, where Eckler fumbles and the Falcons pick it up and run it back and then they refumble it. And it didn't seem to be very, they didn't seem to be demoralised by the fact in which of the, how the play unfolded, uh, which I found unusual. But um, it was a difficult loss all the same. You got a last second field goal, so it was a difficult loss. And then you got a Panthers team that were 35 nil down at halftime, completely blown out. A lot of people felt the game would close. I know you picked them. People felt it would, it, it, we'd see a, a much tougher performance from the Panthers, but it wasn't there. It was non-existent. The quarterback, uh, PJ Walker, gets removed at halftime. Um, he's going to start tomorrow, which I again is probably an unusual move. I think, I think Sam Darnold might be back in sooner than, than we think. You know, he's due to come off the, the IR list. I think he already has, in fact, so I think he could play at some stage in the coming weeks. And they said, I, I was interested to hear the comments of Wilkes, the interim head coach. He said that we're sticking with PJ Walker for two reasons. One, he had a really successful game only 10 days ago against the Falcons, so he knows what to expect. And there's not enough t- a turnaround time to consider moving away from him. Let's be fair, if if Baker Mayfield doesn't know the offence at this stage, haven't been there for quite some time. I think that kind of signifies what they really think of, of Baker Mayfield, which is it, it quite damning because it's difficult to see where he's going to end up next season. Um, for me, the Falcons, in fact, I think the Falcons are going to win this game. I, I was really impressed with Cordell Patterson coming back. Like He really is a hidden gem. We spoke about him in the offseason. They do have some good players on offence with London and Pitts, and he compliments them really well. He had two touchdowns last week. He ran another one in, which was pulled back on a dubious hold. For me, he's a difference maker in this game. Having come back last week, played really well against against the Chargers, albeit losing the game. I think I don't think it'll be as close this time. I think the Falcons' offense will put up a reasonably good amount of points on this Panthers' defense, and who can play well in the day and has played well at home. But um, I think the Falcons, like we saw a bit of a turn from the Panthers having got Wilkes in. They beat the Bucks and they played tough in LA, but they, we've still come back to what we expected, which is a team that don't have a lot of good players. Um, the Falcons, like. They're in the mix. I think they'll find a way to win this game. Yeah, the the I suppose the the interesting thing is the QB situations for both of these teams in in many uh, ways because um, the the Falcons am I am I right? The Falcons could have had the opportunity to take Justin Fields uh, la, last year. Um, yeah, they picked, they picked fourth in that draft and they took Kyle Pitts, yeah. And then the Panthers yeah. picked eighth in that draft and they took J.C. Horn, yeah. Yeah, so both of these teams could have had that opportunity to have, for the Falcons to have maybe sat him behind Matt Ryan for a year, let it, let him develop. And obviously, the, look, I I would be surprised if any of the QBs who are on the uh, Panthers roster right now are, are there next year. Um, Bay- Mayfield's out of contract, Darnell's out of contract, and I believe PJ Walker. Maybe maybe they bring PJ back as a, as a backup. Um, and I'd love to. It would be great to see PJ have success, obviously given the XFL. But when you get when you get pulled at halftime, um, 
it, it's not a, a ringing endorsement of uh, where they they want you to to be. Um, Michael is um, going for uh, the upset. Um, he is uh, saying that the Panthers will win. I don't know if you have heard uh, from Mark in terms of Mark's thoughts. Mark's selection is is the Falcons. Um, you're, you're sorry, just to touch on you're talking about PJ Walker and difficult performance last week. We both alluded to it there. Three for ten, nine yards, two interceptions. From a from a yeah. week in which he puts up huge numbers and a sixty-seven yard explosive touchdown at the end to that performance last week. It's yeah, it's it's, 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 it's hit roller miss. Roller it's hit and miss. Yeah. It, we're, we're only a few weeks on. What, what was it? Obviously that throw the um is to DJ Moore is the one that stands out and given what we saw last weekend with players taking out their helmets that there's no way that should have been a penalty but um, I would say that you know a few weeks ago uh, they had a game where they didn't allow PJ Walker to throw um, basically beyond the line of scrimmage he had one yard beyond uh, the line of scrimmage was the furthest throw downfield so I don't just put it on the quarterbacks either I, I think the, the offensive play calling um leaves a lot to, to be desired there. I did think the, the Panthers, I thought maybe they were getting something going under Wilkes, and I thought their run defense had been really solid, um, but it all fell apart last weekend. Um, Brian Burns is the, the standout there, so if they really did get the offer of two ones and a two for him, uh, it is incredible that they turned that, that offer down he, as talented as he is. Um, I think probably last week's loss put a bit of the, the kibosh on the Panthers' you know, slim, slim chances of making a run. Um, so to me, the Falcons uh, should go on to, to win this. I, I don't think it'll be... Um, uh, I, I think it'll still be tight because I do think this is something of a rivalry game. I think the Panthers will want to make a bit of a statement given what happened at the weekend. But I think the the Falcons, as as the Orlando pointed out, fourth best rushing attack in in the league. And when they do want to throw it, um, they in the weapons they have are uh, quite exceptional. So to me, I'm going to say that um, the Falcons uh, will will get the win. Um, do you want to um, say a couple of things? Yes. Yeah, you sorry, yeah, more, more on Marcus Mariota going into this game because we have spoke on the show um, when we're reviewing on the Monday and on the fact that they've limited his throws in, in games um, in terms of how many times they give him the opportunity to throw. We saw that when they went into Cincinnati. We kind of saw it last week to a certain extent. It was His numbers were down. He only had 129 yards last week, 12 of 23 the one game where you, you could call he's had the most explosive game was in fact the game against the Panthers he was 20 for 28 253 yards and three touchdowns so like there is a kind of mindset in the league sorry with, with fans that he's a very run oriented quarterback and he just compliments the team with you know with the strong running game which they do have but when he isn't in position to throw the ball and he has the players free and available he can do a job so It'd be interesting to see how he performs in this game, bearing in mind how productive he was only 10 days ago when they played in Atlanta. 
Absolutely. Um, we will be back to tomorrow night at 9pm to preview all of Sunday's action. And uh, once again, thanks to everyone who watched tonight. Thanks to those who uh, listened to the podcast. Do give us a, a like, do subscribe, um, do leave a review if you are listening to the podcast. It does really make a difference helping to people to uh, find us. Um, thanks to our partners uh, Cassidy Travel and Brian and I will look forward to chatting to everyone again tomorrow evening.